We thank you so much in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can uh, sing that song, that we can sing and we can mean it. We can bow on our knees and we can bend at your feet. And we can do it not batting an eye, not a shed of embarrassment, because you are worthy. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. God, as we continue to dive into this text that that song was written on, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts. God, you would move in this place during this time and you would take the very little that I can offer, God, and you would multiply it to your greatness, to your standard, Father, and that your standard would be our hearts are moved into leading our feet and our hands into action. God, may we worship you. May we worship you in spirit. May we worship you in truth. May we worship you with everything inside of us, God. Lord, we love you. Speak through me, God, as I stand upon the authority of your word, but behind the cross, so that you may receive all of the glory that is due your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so, on that note, I encourage you to open up God's Word to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, if if you've become a little more familiar with the Revelation song, I encourage you to read, when you go home today, read Revelation 4 and read Revelation 5. And and let let these, these two chapters that are devoted solely to the worship of the Father and solely to the worship of the Son, let them encapture your heart. And so that you can have that personal time, not just this corporate time, but that personal time of worship as well. As you're turning there, uh, last Sunday, I was in our men's meeting. And I was sitting down, and I, I felt my phone start to vibrate. And so I picked up, and it was Carly, and I said, well, Carly knows better. <laughs> she knows that I'm in my men's meeting right now, so I just kind of silenced it. Well, not two seconds later, I got a text message that said, fire. So uh, that changes everything real quick. Uh, and so, so I got up, and, uh, and I, I, uh, I would like to say that I sprinted to the house, but I walked briskly uh, to the house. And I got inside, and inside the oven, one of the oven coils had malfunctioned, and it looked like a sparkler on the 4th of July. And it was, it was just kind of going crazy. Carly didn't know what to do. Uh, and, and anyways, we, we had an expert sitting right over here kind of give us the, the 411 on what was going on. And, uh, and basically, we just needed to pull the piece and go get a new piece and put it in. Easier said than done, my friend. Easier said than done. Uh, so I, Monday rolls around, and uh, it's been wor- at work all day. I come home. It's like 5 o'clock. Uh, and I say, Carly says, all right, let's do this. And so, uh, so I, I get out the wrong tool what I have learned. <laughs> I get out a pair of pliers because this, this coil is bolted into the back of the oven. And so I get out a pair of pliers and I get to work. And I get down there and it does not take long for this situation to get very, very aggravating. Okay? Uh, I, I cut the power to the house because I couldn't find the power to the oven. So there was no air conditioner going on at the moment. Uh, and so I'm starting to sweat, okay? Just sweat's coming down. I'm on my knees on the kitchen floor, and so my knees are hurting. And I have Carson on my shoulder. Daddy, can I help? How can I help, Daddy? Please give me something to do, Daddy. And so he's just jumping around, and I'm like, spray the WD-40 on Mommy. Do something. I don't care. <laughs> uh, 
Caroline, of course, she, she's, not, she's not interrupting. She's not interfering. She's just in your space. You know what I'm talking about? She's just all up on you, you know? And so I got this going on, and we are, I'm working at it, working at it, working at it. And finally, I get to the place, and I have a grip on this bolt, and I t- squeeze as hard as I can, and I twist, and those pliers come off again. And it does not move, and I just scream, Come on, man! Carson gives me the look. Don't yell, Daddy. And that would be okay if it was like I was scared. Please don't yell, Daddy. But it was, you know better. <laughs> don't you yell, Daddy. And Caroline, she just starts crying, you know. <laughs> and so I have to pull away from my already aggravating situation. Go give Caroline a hug. Oh, I love you, baby. It's okay. Daddy didn't mean to scare you. Then I grabbed Carson by the neck and I said, Listen, boy, don't ever tell me what to do. But... <laughs> I'm sorry for yelling. And then I got back to work. All right? And so I'm back in the oven, and I'm working, and I'm working, and finally that bolt breaks loose, and just off the top of my heart, I scream, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It wasn't premeditated. It was just my response to how I felt at that time because I was so sick and tired of the work. I was just responding to it. And to tell you the truth, Yelling something at the very end was like the cherry on top. It was like, oh, yeah, now I've actually completed the work. Yeah! All right. And so that's where, it, that's where I was. And in a way, what we're going to see this morning is this is a picture of worship. This is, in a, in a way, let me, let me, you know, couch that. In a way, this is a, this is a picture of, of worship. Because worship is the response of our hearts to who God is and what he's done. And the manner by which we express our worship is what we call praise. And the ultimate, or praise, is the ultimate culmination of our worship. That's why C.S. Lewis says this, and, and all that I just said, he summarizes way better because he's, he's smarter than me. But he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So, what we're doing, we, we, we started last week at, at the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and today we're going to do chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And what we saw last week, where we were last week, is we saw that the Lion of Judah, and we saw that the Root of David, and we saw that the Triumphant One, and we saw that the Lamb who was slain was the only one worthy to open the scroll of the future of God's plan, Okay? And then what happens after that is the lamb actually does something with it. I love that about Jesus. He's not just worthy, but he's worthy and he's going to do something about it. And so he goes and he takes the scroll from God. He takes the scroll from God. And when that happens, heaven breaks out in a worship service. The only one worthy to do it has actually done it. He's fulfilled what he is able to do. And everybody realizes if he doesn't do it, no one else is doing it. Let's worship. And so they bow down and they get down on their faces and they begin to worship God. And we are going to look at this morning their first song of praise and hopefully join them in worship. So let's read that together. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The first thing that we see that the angelic beings and and the elders bow down before God, the first thing that it says is they sang a new song. 
When heaven broke out in a worship service, they did not pull out the old hymnal and say, hmm, which one fits best for this situation? That's not what they did. And they didn't even revert, as, as appropriate as it would have been, they didn't even revert to the songs that they were singing in chapter 4. That holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That wasn't directed at the Lamb. That was directed at the Father. Okay, And so, so uh, even as appropriate as that song was... Uh, they, they don't revert to an old song. Rather, they sang a new song. And here's the purpose. Their worship was fresh. And I want to be careful here. I know we sing a lot of older songs at our church, and that's okay. That's okay. I, I want to be careful because the point here is not that the song was new. Okay? That's not the point here. There is certainly a necessity for the incorporation of new worship music. If we do anything long enough with no variation, it eventually loses at least some of its meaning, if not all of its meaning. If I come up here this week and I tell you hilarious joke, okay? Oh, everybody's rolling. Next week I come and tell you the joke again. Politely you laugh, and a few people that weren't here laugh at the hilarious joke. The third week I come and I tell you the same joke again, and now you're like, is he forgetting something? And the fourth week I come and I tell you the joke again, and now it's just embarrassing. No one's laughing. And that's the way that we are. If we do stuff over and over and over and over again, it eventually loses its meaning. There's nothing wrong with repetition. Let me, let me just lay that out there. There's nothing wrong with repetition of older songs as long as they are sung with a heart of praise instead of a heart of redundant thoughtlessness. And we see this back in Revelation, just one chapter over, in chapter 4, verse 8. When talking about the, uh, the creatures singing to God, it says, Day and night, they never stop singing. And then it tells us what they sing and what they never stop singing to God. So talk about a chorus that could get old after a while. They never stop singing this song. And here's the point. God's not unpleased. God is not upset with what they're doing. It's because their heart their worship is genuine. Their heart is real. And so the point here, when, when they break out in a new song and it says, and they sang a new song, the point is their worship was fresh. Their hearts were in tune with the Lamb. When the Lamb acted on their behalf, they were ready. When the Lamb did what he, only He could do, they were ready to, to break out in worship. And here's the point. Our hearts need to remain focused on the Lamb of God. Our hearts need to remain focused on Jesus Christ. And as He acts on our behalf, we must be ready to respond to what He does in praise. But it's easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. <clears throat> I know I've been in several situations going into the situation where I was a little afraid, man, things could get crazy. Things could erupt. Things could go bad. I don't know exactly how this situation is going to play out. And so I will be in earnest prayer with the Father saying, God, please, in the name of Jesus Christ, let things have be peaceful. Lord, would you just make things settled? Would you make things smooth? Would everything go all right? And then I'll come into the situation and God will answer that prayer and everything will go smooth and everything will be peaceful. And I leave and I don't even think about God. I don't even mention God. Because everything went smooth and because everything went peaceful, I, I forget God altogether. It's like the ten lepers who got, who got healed. Jesus sends ten lepers away. Only one comes back to praise him. Jesus says, weren't there nine others? Yeah, but when everything was okay, they didn't see the need to praise him anymore. So that's the point. That's the reason we need to keep Jesus on the forefront of our minds. 
That's the reason we need to keep Jesus on the forefront of our hearts. Because when we do and he responds or he works, and we, we will have a natural response of praise to him. And it will be fresh praise. And this is what happens in heaven. This is what happens in heaven. They sing a new worship hymn. Let's, let's kind of break this worship hymn apart. All right? First part. Uh, it says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. The way that I see uh, this, this song kind of laid out is in three different sections, okay? And, and I see it as past, present, and future. And, and we start here with a worship of, or a song of the past. And we see from the very beginning that it is cross-centered. It is Calvary-centered. It is gospel-centered. I heard a preacher uh, one time say that in heaven we will no longer discuss the cross. In heaven we will no longer discuss the cross because what was done was once and for all. And once we're in heaven with Jesus, we don't have to keep on going back to what was done here on earth. Let me tell you, that is utter foolishness. That is absolute foolishness. The cross is the centerpiece of history, without which there would be no people in heaven to worship Jesus at all. And so the cross is going to be a part of what we do when we get to heaven. So heavenly worship says, you are worthy because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. Warren Wearsby writes a commentary, and I love how he shows the progression of the sacrificial lamb throughout Scripture. He says, in Genesis 22, a ram was substituted for Isaac, a picture of Christ giving his life for the individual. At Passover, the lamb was slain for each family. Isaiah states that Jesus died for the nation of Israel. John affirms that the lamb died for the whole world. The more you meditate on the power and scope of Christ's work on the cross, the more humbled and worshipful you become. May our lips ever sing the praises of what our Savior did on that cross, providing our salvation. As our world gets more and more sensitive to this message, because that's the reality around us right now, as our world gets more and more sensitive and intolerant to the message of the cross, may we sing ever more boldly, Oh, the wonderful cross. Bids me come and die to find that I may truly live. The song of the past is cross-centered, but secondly, the song of the past is salvation-centered. When we read that part right there at the very end of verse 9, it says, you, uh, And with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus accomplishes what Jesus begins. And Jesus' plan from the beginning was for the whole world. God's plan from the very beginning was from, for the whole world. John three sixteen and 17, very familiar with the first half, maybe not as much with the second half. It says, For God so loved the world. That's right. You can say it with a little excitement because you're part of that world, okay? For God so loved the There you go. That he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. From the beginning, this is the plan. Save the world through Jesus Christ. And so what heavenly worship does, heavenly worship praises Jesus for purchasing men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is... They praise the Lamb for purchasing people from all over the world, the whole world. (coughs) And Jesus has given us the task to come alongside Him 
and work for the souls of these people. But ultimately, like we said with Mary in there, it is Him who is doing the work. It is Him who accomplishes the task. And for this, we ought to give Him great praise. We ought to give Him great praise. I think sometimes, because we live in a country that was founded on Christian principles, because we live in a state that hasn't been completely torn away from that concept, because we were raised in homes uh, that kind of centered on the local church, (coughs) sometimes we need to be reminded that the gospel didn't start with us. The gospel didn't start with us. Jesus didn't originally come to America. We are not God's original chosen people. We were not the original sharers of the gospel. English is not the official language of the Bible. And by all accounts, we are Gentiles. So it is only by Christ's great commission that we can call ourselves children of God here today. So we praise Jesus for the scope of his salvation. This is the song of the past. Then we get to the song of the present. Verse 10. It says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. 1 Peter 2.9 kind of summarizes that, puts it in a little better package maybe. It says, But you are a royal priesthood. When Jesus died on the cross, many of us are familiar with this story. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple, I mean, excuse me, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. It was clearly a work of God. And God removed the need for a ceremonially clean priest to be an intermediary on behalf of the people. That is, Jesus, by what he did on the cross, cleaned those who trust in him fully. They are fully clean. We are fully clean if we are in Christ. And now we have direct access through the Father in prayer. So we are priests. Scripture says we are not just priests. We are royal priests. We are a kingdom. 1 Peter 2.10, the very next verse says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We aren't just God's children in the generic sense that he created us. Right? We have been adopted into the family of God as sons, and we serve in the court of the king. And heavenly worship rejoices in our position in Christ. We are no longer separated from God, but we have the Son of God living inside of us. As many times as I say it, I still can't get my mind around it. We have the Son of God living inside of us. Therefore, guess what? You are never alone. In your hurt, in your depression, in your despair, you are never alone. In fact, just the opposite. You share the joy of the King. You share the peace of our Creator. Scripture teaches that He pours out His power on us. And we are loved beyond measure. We are loved people beyond measure. This is really, really good news. But the reality is, the reason maybe sometimes we don't stand up and rejoice when we hear this news about what Christ has done for us and about who Christ is inside of us is because sometimes we just don't feel these things, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we don't feel that we have this joy and this peace that has been promised to us. We're in that dark time. We're in that desperate time. And we're like, God, we want that joy. God, we want that peace. But it doesn't feel like it's coming. So 
Sometimes we do feel awfully lonely. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we have someone next to us, let alone inside of us. Sometimes we don't see any power. Oh, Lord, I go out and I try to do things for you, but nothing is happening. Where is the power that you have promised? Sometimes we cannot perceive His love. When everyone else seems to be hating on us, it seems real difficult to dig into God and hold on and say, I still feel your love. But we're kind of like the immigrant who becomes a U.S. citizen. Initially, you don't feel very American. <laughs> My dad was from Cuba, and he had to become a U.S. citizen. At first, he didn't speak English very well, so guess what? He didn't fit in very well. At first, he didn't enjoy all the same food that everybody else was eating. So guess what? He didn't fit in very well. Well, not him in particular, but because <laughs> he kind of did look like everybody else. But oftentimes, an immigrant doesn't look like everyone else does around them. And so they don't fit in very well. But despite all of these discrepancies, my dad still was fully covered and protected by all the same rights and all the same privileges that all other Americans possess. And when we are in Christ, whether we feel it or we don't feel it, we are covered by all the same blessings, and we are covered by all the same promises, and we are covered by all the same greatness that the, that the King pours out on us in Jesus Christ, and we praise Him for it. We have a song of the past. We have a song of the present. And finally, we have a song of the future. And it says, and they will reign on the earth. And they will reign on the earth. Scripture teaches that being in the kingdom of God, we reign with Christ on earth now. We reign with Christ on earth now. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That is, through Adam's sinful inheritance, we were ruled by death. But now, through Christ's sinless perfection and sacrifice, we reign with Him in life. And that's why the gates of hell cannot overcome the church, because we are established on Christ. And like we said earlier, Christ finishes what He starts. He carries on to completion what He has begun. So what we see in Scripture is Christ reigns now. Christ is the King now. Christ reigns now. And so if He carries everything that He starts onto completion, that means that Christ will reign when? Forever. Christ will reign forever. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Everybody in here kind of wants to break out into a Christmas cantata right now. But listen, this is a truth, that He will reign forever and ever. There's another truth. If we reign with Christ right now, and Jesus completes everything that He begins, that means we will reign with Christ how long? Forever. Eddie Lee, thank you for the deep bass on that. Forever. 
<laughs> uh, no, we will reign with Christ forever. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 22, 4 and 5, discussing eternity with God, says, His servants will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So heavenly worship exalts Christ for the assurance of eternal life and dominion with Him. We don't have to walk in fear, church. We don't have to walk in fear. Fear of man, fear of the enemy, fear of our circumstances. We don't have to walk in fear because we look to eternity. Jesus says, what's man going to do to you anyways? What's he going to do? Take your life? Don't worry about him. Worry about the one who can take your life and throw your, hell, throw your soul in hell. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you fear God? And he says, listen, we don't, have to, we don't have to walk in fear in this world because we are established in Christ for eternity. We don't have to wallow in self-pity because God says that he will make all things new. We, <coughs> excuse me. In Christ, we have, <clears throat> we have what God has designed for us to desire. That is eternity with Him. God has created us to desire eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. That's a, that's a really unique passage. That He has set eternity in the hearts of men. He has, from our birth, put inside of us a desire to be with Him for. Ever. Reminds me of a story that I can't tell you good enough, so I'm going to read most of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to intro it for you. But at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, uh, uh, they, were the, they were the host nation. And right, uh, they, were, they were doing it in Sydney, Australia, and that's where the Opera House is. And, and they have this big bridge, the Sydney uh, Harbor Bridge. And during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics... There, uh, and Greg, you can go ahead and put it on there. Uh, during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics on the Sydney Harbor Bridge came the word eternity. Eternity was written in lights on the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Many people kind of assumed, well, this is an Olympic theme. This is kind of like setting your eternal mark on the, the record books, that, that sort of thing. But to the host country, it meant so much more. And you can leave it up there while I read this story, Greg. But in November 1932 in Australia, down on his luck, World War I veteran named Arthur Stace was homeless and hopelessly addicted to alcohol. His life of gambling and petty crime had only worsened his poverty and driven him to suicidal depression. Having failed at everything he could think of to, to uh, <clears throat> content the aching cavity in his soul, he stumbled one Sunday night into a church. In God's providence, preaching that uh, evening was a man named John Ridley, who spoke on the subject of eternity. You're on your way somewhere, brother, and God made you to long for the place you're headed for, Ridley said. He eloquently described the settled destination of every human being with the word eternity, repeating it again and again, eternity, eternity, eternity. Those eight letters captured Stace's mind and demanded from his life a major course correction. As Ridley proclaimed the truth of every person's march toward eternity and the only gospel that prepares a soul for that inevitability, the God of the universe invaded Stace's soul. 
conquered by the message of salvation and Christ's provision for his own eternity, Stace dedicated the rest of his life to doing what he could to help people find the God who had found him. Every day for more than 35 years, Stace rose before the sun, and after a cup of tea and a few moments in Bible reading, he'd go out into the streets of Sydney with a piece of chalk and write the word, Eternity. Over and over, thousands of times, Stace wrote this word in the same beautiful script. As the town awoke, people would see the word everywhere. On the sidewalk, outside a coffee shop, on the back side of a street sign, and on the cornerstone at the base of a building. Eternity mysteriously appeared all over town. Somehow, instead of being insulted by the overtly spiritual message, people reported, reported feeling strangely encouraged. From all walks of life, Sydney citizens were stumbling upon eternity, scrawled in the most surprising places. Until 1956, no one knew where the writing came from. But they finally found him, Arthur Stace, <clears throat> uh, and no one demanded he stop his daily discipline. Instead, they supported, even celebrated his graffitied message of the life to come. If you go to Sydney today, you can enter a particular government building, and up inside the bell, in one of the towers, you can find the word written by Stace, still legible more than 50 years later, eternity. Stace died in 1967 at the age of 83, but he left an impact that will long or last long after every chalk mark has faded. His gravestone reads, Arthur Malcolm Stace, Mr. Eternity, a word he had written more than 500,000 times in his life. We praise Jesus supremely because he has blessed us with eternity. Not just any old eternity. Eternity with the Father in the fullness of his glory. I love these chapters. I love these chapters. There's, There's a certain harmony to these chapters as well. If you look at the way Jesus is praised here, it's very similar to the way that that the Father is praised in verse 4. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we see this same kind of of working going in the praise of the Son for what He did in the past on Calvary and through the resurrection, what He is doing in the present by living within us, and what He has established in the future by an eternal reign with Him. And as we consider these aspects of worship, so we should mimic the example of praise. I do want to conclude by giving a warning, though. I want to give a warning. And I'll do it by sharing a story. There was a a family who had just had a brand new baby boy. And they were in the Boston area. It was cold. But they invited all their friends over. Uh, <clears throat> they invited all their friends over because they, they wanted to celebrate. They wanted to celebrate this new gift that God had given them. So the, the friends came over and they took off their coats and they shed them in the back bedroom on the bed. And, and they just started hanging out and they started just, you know, enjoying each other's company until 30 minutes or an hour later, everyone kind of dawned on them that, where's the baby? Where's the one that we have come to celebrate? This is the whole purpose is this baby. Well, all of a sudden, obviously, a panic happens within the house. There's a stir within the house of how, how you know, what, what is going on? Where is this baby? And so they start searching and searching and searching. And finally, they make their way to the back bedroom and remove all the coats off the bed. And the baby boy was tragically forgotten. Dead midst of the celebration, thrown in his arms. May we be careful 
ever do the same with Jesus Christ. We come here on Sundays in celebration of what Christ did for us. On Sundays in celebration of the resurrection, we come to this church. May we never leave out the guest of honor. May we never leave out Jesus Christ. James McDonald says, let Jesus Christ be proclaimed and petitioned and adored in the center and as the center of his church. So church, let us worship. Let us worship Jesus Christ afresh. Let us worship him with a new song in our heart. And let us shout his praise for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's doing, and what he will do forever and ever pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you. And Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much. God, we just want to exalt you. We just want to worship you. We just want to glorify you. Uh, Whatever synonym you want to throw in there. God, would you be exalted in our hearts? Would you be raised high? God, may we bow in humility. Raise you up. You must become greater and we must become less. Father, I, I, I don't know. But I love you. I love this worship service. I love starting with the baptism. I love the picture being buried with Christ and raised in newness of life. I love singing your praise, Father, and I love hearing your word. God, let us always be diligent to remain focused on you. God, just show up. Father, help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. And draw close to you. God, I thank you so much. I praise you for your son. It makes this a reality for me. It makes it a reality for my family. It makes it a reality for my church makes it a reality for my world. God, I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.